but y'all please agree with me. The Bible says that two agree on earth is touching anything, God will do it. So I want to make sure and really pray over the word. And so, Father, we just lift up this time as we get into the word of the Lord. I ask you, Lord, that you would come speak through me under a strong anointing. And even now, that the Holy Spirit would move upon the people that are listening to this. Whether they're hearing it live or they're going to be hearing a recording. Lord, let your Holy Spirit move powerfully upon them where they are. And everyone, just to be able to give you their focus, their best ear, their full attention. That the Holy Spirit move upon people's minds that nobody's going to be distracted. Move upon people's hearts and minds that they're good soil. And I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit help us get locked in and focused and be able to get everything God has for us. But speak through me your words of truth, like living seeds of truth that are sown into good soil. And that seed will land where it needs to go. That your Holy Spirit, just like the winds of the Lord, carry the seed of the word everywhere it needs to go. The parable of the seed and the sower. It's not going to land on rocky soil, but it'll be good soil the Holy Spirit has prepared of hearts and minds and lives and it'll be watered by the spirit and take root grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until jesus comes and so lord as you speak through me let it be like a light shining in dark places and dispel the darkness the lies of the enemy expose the enemy and speak through me everything that needs to be said and lord let it be a hammer that breaks down strongholds religious strongholds a sword that penetrates where it needs to go and let there be a washing of the water of the word as people repent and make sure everything is the way it needs to be with you. And so, Lord, we thank you for it. And we know Jesus taught the birds of the air try to steal the seed. And that's the demonic. So, Lord, we agree together and we bind up anything of the enemy right now in Jesus' name that would try to hinder the word of God, that would try to hinder it from getting where it needs to go and accomplishing that which it needs to do. We bind you now in the name of Jesus, command you to back off. And, Lord, we thank you for your mighty angels watching over your word for your kingdom purposes. Well, we stand on the promise that your word will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So, Lord, speak through me and let everything be accomplished in and through this time in the word that your will to be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I wanted to get into this. Um, River of Life, as we're going deeper into the glory of the Lord, and I don't have a long time to dwell on things that you guys have already been taught, so let's just kind of skim over a few things. But the glory is God's manifest presence. Okay, so where the glory of God dwells, there's going to be tremendous things happening. And thank God so much for what he's been doing. You know, there's been healings, there's been deliverances, and major things God's done in people's lives. But I'm just telling you, and I know that you know this, that the best is yet to come. And God is going to be breaking some things open, and, and there's going to be a harvest of souls. And so, as the glory of the Lord is increasing, and God begins to increase what he's doing, I just feel that the Lord has given some warnings here for us to be careful about a few things, okay? So, Exodus 25, verse 8, the Bible says, Let them construct a sanctuary for me. This was the tabernacle of Moses, that I might dwell among them. And the way God dwelled was his glory. And we know that the, the tabernacle called the Mishkan, which comes from the root word Shekan, to dwell. And that's where you get the word Shekinah. In Hebrew, the Shekinah. And that is the glory of the Lord. And so that was a tabernacling of his presence. And so when God said, let them build a sanctuary, he wanted some place in the midst, in the middle of his people, where he could bring his presence down among his people. 
So that's the heart of God. And this is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible because how many of you guys know that the Lord didn't have to do that? And so God's heart for his presence to be among his people. It always grieves me where there's a lack of presence among the people of God. God's presence should be in our midst. All right, so a few things. God's purpose, which I just covered, was to bring his glory into the earth. And we know from Hebrews 8, 5, that the, the tabernacle on the earth that Moses made was a replica of the tabernacle that's in heaven. So we know from various scriptures that there is a tabernacle in heaven and there is some kind of a hill of the Lord, like a mount of God. And at the top of that, there's some kind of a tabernacle or temple and God's throne is there. And so God used Moses to help bring a replica of the tabernacle heavenly tabernacle heavenly things into the earth and i know you guys are familiar with this because we talk about it but even in revelation you see like the the lamp stand you see references tabernacle references and so this is because what we saw on the earth was replicated from heaven so god had to create a koanim which is just the name for the priesthood so Aaron and his sons and his descendants under Moses, that Aaronic priesthood, God had to create there a group of people that would know how to properly handle the glory of the Lord. And so the priesthood, they, they had to wear certain garments and perform certain tasks. It was very meticulous. And it was something that had to be not only learned, but the father had to pass it to the son and so it was something that was, was very much um, you know, taught within that family. But it had to be that way because the average person that was just simply coming to the tabernacle, the temple to bring their offering, would not have had knowledge of a lot of things. And so God had to set apart a group of people that could really know what would please God and what wouldn't. Would know how to dwell in the glory and how to maintain all of that and to guard the glory and in the same way now as we move into the new testament time on the other side of the cross god is wanting his glory to be among his people but he's he's looking for ministers and people that can know what's going to please god and what's not and teach the people you know the priesthood was supposed to teach that which was you know to differentiate between which was holy and profane and that was one of the great rebukes that god had for the priesthood in the old testament was that you know they failed in this area they did not teach the people what was holy and what was not and so the people many times would backslide and turn to idolatry they'd be burning incense to other gods they would erect idols throughout the land you see what i'm saying and so there had to be a group of people that knew what pleased God and knew how to host the glory of God and they could kind of sustain things and teach people what, ne what they need to know. So a few things about it's going to be a little bit different sermon series. This is really just the introductory, introductory part because I want to lay some groundwork because it's going to get deeper as we go. Okay. So we talked about the glory, then we talked a little bit about the heavenly tabernacle. Now I need to talk about the spiritual warfare aspect. And so you're dealing with the devil who the Bible says was the anointed cherub that covered. Now, 
those that are familiar with this, because sometimes there are people a little bit familiar with the Hebrew, I always thought that was the, the letter het at the beginning, the CH, but it's not. It's the kuf, so it's a K. And so it's really cherubim, and the reason why I'm saying this is because people a lot of times get really confused when you talk about a cherub. What do they see? They see a little fat baby with the bow and arrow, right? That's, that is a Greek thing. It's not biblical. So the cherubim were actually really powerful, uh, a class of angels, the four living creatures. The Bible describes them as having four different faces. Remember that? The bull and the eagle and the man and all that. And um, I don't want to get too deep into this because I could rabbit trail too long, but the cherubim were a class of beings in heaven that seemed to be guardians of God's glory. You remember when the Apostle Paul talked about thrones and dominions? Remember that? It seems to me, and, and to some other Bible scholars out there, that the cherubim were not only around the throne, but it could be that they even kind of made up the throne, um, that they may be interlocked in a certain way. And you can see that because even in the tabernacle of Moses, when you looked at the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark was a replica of the throne of God. And the Ark, literally, it was not something that was beside the Ark. It was something that was a part of the Ark, the cherubim on each side. Remember that? But they, they were part of the Ark. Um, anyway, but they seemed to be possibly that they interlock in a way to create like a throne for God to sit on but they're guardians of the glory and that's why god put specifically a cherubim in the garden of eden after adam and eve sinned god did not want them to live forever in a fallen condition because they could keep going back and eating the fruit and they'd still be here and so god had to you know excommunicate them out and so he would he put a cherubim there to block them Remember that with the flaming sword? In the same way, in the, the tabernacle of Moses, if you were going to go toward the Holy of Holies, there in the Hebrew is called the parchet, but it was this veil. Now remember when Jesus died, that veil ripped, but there was a veil that separated people from the Holy of Holies where the glory was. And in that veil was interwoven into the actual artwork of it was cherubim. And so they, they were like symbolically guarding, guarding God's presence, guardians of the glory. And the reason why I bring that up is because Ezekiel 28 gets into this and it calls Satan the anointed cherub that covered. And so Satan is not just any class of angel. He is specifically of the class of the cherubim. And it's possible that at one time he had something to do with the worship of heaven because the Bible says tabrets and pipes were formed within him. And that has to do with music. The pipes have to do with like chords and the tabrets had to do with rhythms. But there was something created in him. And being that he was the anointed cherub that covered, it's possible that as you went up the mount of God into the heavenly tabernacle, that in the holy of holies there where god's throne was that the cherubim somehow interlocked and created this throne for god to sit upon and we know that there's four living creatures right now that make up this throne it could be that satan was the fifth and just like a high back of a chair that 
where he stood was a little bit above the Almighty where he could lead worship in heaven's worship. But the Bible says he was the anointed cherub that covered. So up and over that. And I believe he led worship. But the problem was in the glory, even in the glory, it says he walked among the fiery stones that Lucifer literally dwelled that close to God. And probably, and I just speculate about this, but probably he, he was maybe overseeing that class of angels, the cherubim. And he, was, he was very powerful. And because he was so powerful and so beautiful, and possibly their leader, nonetheless, over time, he began to get lifted up with pride. And that's what I wanted to warn about tonight, is the danger of pride. And so we know the story that even though he ministered that close to God, he walked among the fiery stones. He probably was, was their leader, the Caribbean, possibly. But nonetheless, being right there with the Lord, I mean, how much more in the glory are you going to get than where Lucifer was? It's possible that, I mean, he at one time helped make up the very throne of God. Okay, but in that glory, the Bible says that he got lifted up with pride. And that he ended up causing a rebellion. And if you read and look into the Hebrew about his widespread trade, it is the word there that's like a talebearer or a gossip. And what he was doing was he was going to other angelic beings, which there's different classes of them, and he was trying to turn them against the Lord. Make a long story short, we know that a third of them fell with him. And so Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning. So he was thrown to the earth with a third of those fallen beings. And um, the earth, of course, was in some kind of a destroyed condition. But nonetheless, they were thrown there. All right. So my point in all of that is just to make this point that in the glory pride manifested and pride is very dangerous if you want to do a scary scary study in the bible do a study on pride because the bible makes it clear that god opposes the proud and see we read over these things but we don't a lot of times stop and really think about what that means do you really want god to set his hand against you. Because how many knows if God is actually going to be like an enemy against you, nothing is going to work. I know you probably feel this way too, but I would rather have the devil and all those third of the angels chasing me at one time than to have God Almighty my enemy. So the Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives his grace to the humble. And so we know that pride is dangerous in other aspects because pride also, the Bible says, will lead to destruction. Think about that. Think about the word destruction. How many have, have ever heard of someone saying that their life was destroyed? Okay. So pride leads to destruction. And it says haughtiness leads to a fall into sin. And so... You know, when God lifts his hand, 
it doesn't matter how high up you feel like you are or how mature or how much you've grown or how much knowledge you have or how many Bible degrees you've got, how many times you've read the Bible through, if God lifts his hand, you're going to fall. And great will be your fall. And so my point in this is that to avoid a fall, to avoid destruction and the humiliation that goes along with that, there has to be humility. But when, and, and Peter said this, he said, clothe yourself with humility. So humility, spiritually speaking, will kind of look like a drab garment, won't it? That you are not somebody that is thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. You know, but you're just humble before the Lord. And you give him all the glory. You're taking no glory for yourself. And as I go through this series, I'm going to take my time with this. I'm going to talk about different aspects and dangers of pride. Because I feel like the Lord is telling us that something is on the horizon that's very good. But the devil wants to attack. And the way he wants to attack some people, I believe, is with pride. And here's the danger. Pride is extremely subtle. I heard one guy say pride is kind of like bad breath. The person, <laughs> everybody knows that the person's got bad breath, but the person that's got it. You know, pride is so subtle that a lot of times the person that has a pride issue will be the last one to realize it. But it is a very, very subtle enemy that's very hard to detect and a long time ago I felt the Lord put on my heart that I needed to begin to pray every day that God would give wisdom the Bible says he'll grant wisdom to them that ask liberally without finding fault I pray daily for wisdom and grace and that God would help me because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is one of them is the aspect is humility and so the Holy Spirit can help us remain humble if we ask him. That's part of the fruit of the Spirit. But there's a principle in the Word of God that if you humble yourself, God will lift you up. But if you lift yourself up, God himself will humble you. So in other words, if you don't do your job of humbling yourself, God will help you. I don't want God to have to humble me because he knows how to do it and that's one of those things that's not going to be fun I used to laugh so hard at, at Steve Hill he has a sermon you guys should look it up I'm sure it's on YouTube about the the spanking of the Lord he had somebody go get a switch <laughs> he was talking about yeah it was funny but anyway the thing is when God disciplines us he disciplines us because he loves us but it's not going to be pleasant and I think that this discipline could be avoided if we really humble ourselves and pray about this issue and keep it a matter of prayer because pride is a very dangerous thing and it's very subtle. And as we will talk about in this series, and I'm not going to get into today, but I do believe that it is going to be extremely pronounced in end-time prophecy. You guys know I teach a lot on end-time prophecy. But that's not really where I'm going tonight. But just, just suffice it to say this. 
In the book of Job, it describes Leviathan, which is the spirit of pride. When you read the book of Revelation and you read about the beast, remember that had ten heads and the crowns and all that, you can't help but think about Leviathan. See, this is going to be an end-time thing, pride. And when you look at the description of people in the latter days, like Second uh, Timothy 3, you can't help but see that all of that comes from pride, the haughtiness. So pride is something that's going to be very pronounced in these latter days. And I believe that that will be one of the great distinctions between God's true people and the people of the world is that the world is going to increase in arrogance, which, of course, will ultimately lead to the rise of the Antichrist. But God's people will increase in our humility in our dependence on him is the thing is if God is for you who can be against you and see as we grow in our humility it's our dependence on him and our realization that anything that happens is really him and the more humble we are the more grace is going to be at work and the more his power will be displayed I think about what Paul said you know if anybody had an actual reason to be cocky Paul had it because being a Pharisee like he was he studied under Gamaliel at the time and he he was somebody that that would have had the um, the prestige of that time if that makes sense he would have been somebody that was like an Ivy League graduate study like a graduate from Harvard that was kind of he would have he was brilliant um, he would have been as a Pharisee he would have been extremely wealthy extremely in the culture very famous and I know that's hard for a lot of people to really grasp because we we live in America it's a very different culture but just trust me he was a man of influence but he was willing to give all that up to serve Christ and you talk about the ultimate humiliation I mean here's here's somebody that came from that that was willing to be beaten and put in prison and to go through all he did for the Lord but he said this and I remember reading this, and it made it, once you understand where he came from, it makes more sense. He talked about, he said, if I wanted to brag about these other things, I could. But he said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to boast on my weaknesses. Because as I boast on my weaknesses, the power of God will be made more present in my life. And he began to boast in the sufferings he's been through. Remember that? So he really became very humble and if you look at the writings of Paul and you look at them in actual chronological order he started out saying I am no less than these so-called super apostles over here well that sounds just a little cocky and then you read later in his writings I'm the least of the apostles and then you read later in his writings I'm the least of all the saints. And then finally, when he wrote to Timothy at the end of his life, when he was about to die, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. So you could see that Paul grew in his humility. All right. Now let me get off that. So major threat to Satan's kingdom. I know you guys know this. But I'm just telling you, something's on the horizon. 
something powerful. God's really about to open something up for River of Life. And uh, when this happens, I want all of us to really be growing in our humility. Don't allow the enemy to get any type of spiritual pride. So 1 Chronicles 20 verse 4. Now it came about after this that war broke out in Gezer with the Philistines. And Sibachai, the Hushite, Hushite, whatever, killed Sipai, one of the descendants of the giants. And they were subdued. And there was war again with the Philistines. Elhanan, son of Yair, killed Lami, the brother of Goliath, the Hittite, whose shaft, his spear was like a weaver's beam. So this was Goliath's brother. You know, oh, Goliath was an ugly guy, wasn't he? I imagine. And he, had, he had four ugly brothers. A lot of people don't know that but this is one of his brothers and then it says in verse 6 there was war in Gath this was in the, the Philistine capital was Gath where there was a man of great stature who had 24 fingers and toes six fingers on each hand six toes on each foot I told you these guys were ugly and when he taunted Israel Jonathan the son of Shimei David's brother killed him and these were the, the descendants of the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by his servants. You've always heard me say, if you want to be a giant killer, you've got to hang out with a giant killer. See, these guys hung out with David. All right, so back to this point. I want you to notice this. There was war, and then Satan's kingdom was defeated. Then there was war, then Satan's kingdom was defeated. And then there was war again, and Satan's kingdom was defeated. So it was like what the enemy had planned through these, you know, his little puppets. His, you know, Goliath had a family. He's dead, but he had a family reunion. But here they come, right? All these ugly giants and these, these forces of the enemy were trying to stir up against Israel. But there was war and they were defeated. War defeated, war, de war defeated. So after this, the Bible says, then Satan stood up. He lost his temper you know because he kept sending in these forces against Israel but God was with Israel and so David and his men kept defeating them and killing their leader these giants and so Satan stood up he had had enough so I don't want to get into all that too much but when Satan stood up he changed his tactic did everybody hear that let me say that again because I want you to understand. When the devil keeps attacking in a certain way and it's not working, he stood up in anger, but what happened? He changed his tactic. So now he's trying to kind of come in a back door. There are certain things that are a major threat to the devil. I believe, number one, the greatest threat to Satan's kingdom is the preaching of the pure gospel. Have you ever noticed how the devil has worked over time for the last 2,000 years to pervert the gospel? I'd, man, I could really go off on that tangent, but let me just tell you, there's a lot of other gospels out there. But the preaching of the pure gospel under a strong anointing is a major, major threat to the enemy. Number two, the power of Pentecost and the gifts. That is a major, major threat to the devil. Because it's not going to be by human might or effort. It's going to be by the Spirit of God things get accomplished. Jesus, 
the title Christ comes from the Hebrew word Mashiach. And either way, whether you want to say Mashiach, you want to say Christos, what it means is the anointed one. And when Jesus was ministering, he was ministering under a mighty, mighty anointing. And that's why he told his disciples, he said, don't leave Jerusalem till you're clothed with power. So when we minister under an anointing, it is the anointing that destroys the bondages of Satan. It's the anointing that causes healing to the sick and demons to flee. And so the power of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, and the gifts in operation, that's a major threat to the devil. He wants to do everything he can to stop that. Also, accurate teaching that exposes the devil and destroys his kingdom. He hates it. And finally, when all of this is taking place in the glory. So where did Satan used to dwell before he fell? In the glory. He hates the glory. And when the glory of the Lord, that thick manifest presence of God is in a place and they're preaching the pure gospel and they're, they're operating under an anointing of the Holy Spirit, the gifts are at work. There's powerful teaching of the word of God. It's a major threat. And I remember I had a great, great honor being able to sit down and talk with Steve Hill at length about things and he was a tremendous blessing to me. But one of the things he told me, he said, listen, he said, if you start going out there and winning souls and you start taking all Satan's little soldiers from him, he said, you better be ready for war because he is not going to take it lightly. He told me that. And so when you're doing these things and you keep doing these things, Satan will try to send warfare and then you win. Then he'll send more warfare and you win. Then he'll send more warfare and you win. And then he'll stand up. He's had enough. And now he wants to change his tactic and come in a different way. And I feel this is a warning from the Lord. I really do. That he's been trying for a long time to snuff out revival here. And he hasn't been able to do it. Y'all have no idea what we've been through. Some of you haven't been here very long. You have no idea what we've weathered. And he's tried everything that he could. But listen, we have to be discerning and know when he's shifting his tactics and when he's coming in a new way and what he's trying to do. But I'm telling you, coming to you as a pastor like a warning about pride, specifically spiritual pride. So Satan hates the glory. He hates revival. How many knows that when God, when Jesus was on the earth, okay, and he had his disciples, he had trained them. How was Jesus training them? He was going out and in front of them, Jesus was continually healing the sick right in front of them. They were with him. And so Jesus would be ministering and people would be bringing all these crippled and these lepers and these different people to him. And the disciples were physically there watching everything Jesus did, how he prayed for him, what he did. How many times the disciples saw demons manifest and come out of people? You know, somebody go thrown back and manifesting a demon, screaming, foaming at the mouth and get delivered. They saw this all the time. 
and Jesus trained them and and when Jesus departed he said make sure you wait in Jerusalem to your clothed with power and then when the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost the church was born then you read about the exploits of the early church what were they doing the same stuff Jesus did healing the sick casting out demons and so the power of God book of Acts biblical Christianity was taking place that right there is what Satan hates and Satan wants to stop and he's done a masterful job of stopping it because most places you go aren't seeing biblical book of Acts Christianity for one reason or the other and I believe that there's three primary spirits that Satan uses against revival and specifically against the glory of the Lord number one is Leviathan Job 40 and it talks about regarding Leviathan he's the king over all the sons of pride and so Leviathan has to do with pride and when Leviathan can find an inroad I just picture for example when Jesus was on the earth and he had his 12 disciples he said the prince of this world is coming he has nothing in me but I could see that Satan was just circling the camp and when he finally saw Judas and saw that here was a guy who was a thief and you know he wasn't right with God Satan realized that he had a way to get from the outside into the very camp of the Lord and at Passover as Jesus had the last supper Passover meal Judas was exposed but the Bible says Satan entered Judas and then he went out and betrayed but Satan found a way in so don't think that if that happened to Jesus it's not going to happen to us the devil's wanting to circle and try to find a way in y'all hearing me and the first thing the devil wants to do is find pride because if he can find pride he can bring in through that that avenue into somebody's life wrong attitudes that now out of pride they want things to be about them instead of the Lord anymore and pride causes all kinds of problems they want their way and let me tell you about pride pride again I mentioned this it's so subtle that the person a lot of times doesn't realize that they have a pride issue until God helps them to see it but the Bible says but by pride comes contention so in other words why is there strife 99% of the time the reason why there's strife and fighting because somebody's got pride you know who the peacemakers are humble people the second way that Satan will attack is not just the spirit of Leviathan but he'll try to send a religious spirit and this is really strong and very pervasive a religious spirit has to do with man's control in a nutshell there's a lot to this spirit but nonetheless this is a spirit that wants man to be in control and man doing it man's way instead of you know God doing what he wants to do man gets in there takes over wants to dominate control it put everything under their oppressive rulership and control and it kills any move of the Holy Spirit and that has happened all through history and I think that we can all look throughout the landscape 
of Christianity around the world and say that the religious spirit has probably been unfortunately pretty successful. And then the third spirit that the devil uses against revival and against the glory is the Jezebel spirit. And if you don't know a lot about that spirit, I encourage you to read the book that my wife and I have written about it because it is a vicious thing. It is very wicked and it's very dangerous. This spirit has to do with witchcraft and it has to do with rebellion and it has to do with control. All right, so what I want to focus on as I close this out is I want to focus on spiritual pride and just warning people because again, a lot of times people don't realize that there's pride until God helps them see it. And this is the scripture that came to me, Romans 14, starting with verse 2. And when I talk about this, let me just say that during the revival at Brownsville that happened in the 90s, Steve Hill said that probably the greatest deliverance that he saw in Brownsville was from a critical spirit. People would come and they would see things they had never really seen before. They would see maybe manifestations of the Holy Spirit, whether it be falling down or shaking, whatever. They saw freedom in worship they had never seen before. And they just were experiencing like heaven invading earth, if you want to just put it bluntly. But they had never been around that. And a lot of these religious people, they tend to think that things should be the way they think they should be whatever that means whatever they come from they in their mind they think well it's supposed to be like what I'm used to and this isn't what I'm used to so it must not be God <laughs> you realize how arrogant that is think about that for a minute really think about that but that is the way that most people approach it and so all these people become, and, and so many had that type of, you know, arms folded, looking with criticism and judgment. And he said the greatest deliverance he saw was from a critical spirit. What is that? It's rooted in pride. A lot of times somebody that has spiritual pride can hardly go somewhere where God's moving. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a healing thing. It could be a deliverance seminar, whatever it is a revival, something outside of their box, and they can hardly sit there very long without finding some kind of a critical thing where they're criticizing and judging the speaker, the worship, or this person over here, that person over there, and they're so full of that criticism and judge, you know, judging um, that spiritual pride. Instead of coming in there humble, and these people can be difficult because they come in, and it's outside of their comfort zone in their box so they're looking at somebody over here that's praying in the spirit and they're looking down their nose at them you know that's pride all right so romans 14 2 one person has faith that he may eat all things but he who is weak in their faith eats only vegetables and he's talking about the whole thing about eating food from the marketplace that might have been sacrificed to an idol okay it was a personal conviction let me try to explain it where it makes sense. So during this time that they lived, a lot of people would take animals to the pagan temples and sacrifice them, but later their meat would be sold in the marketplace. So you didn't know for sure if the meat you bought 
was just your regular garden variety goat or if it had been the goat that was sacrificed in this temple over here and Paul was telling them don't worry about it just get you know just buy whatever meat and just pray over it it'll be okay but the problem was certain people that had faith they could go through there and just simply buy the meat pray over it not worry about it. but other people that were weak in their faith couldn't do that they were really worried about it man you know let's make sure that it wasn't sacrificed to an idol so he says the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat and the one who does not eat should not judge the one who does for God has accepted him who are you to judge the servant of another to his own master he stands or falls and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand and then he gives another example he says one person regards one day above another day another regards every day alike it makes you think about the feast days or it makes you think about things like Christmas or whatever one person regards a day as unto the Lord and another person regards each day alike he said each person must be fully convinced in his mind that he who observes the day observes it unto the Lord. He who eats, eats unto the Lord. He is to give thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat. In other words, if he doesn't, he's doing that unto the Lord. For not the one for not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself for if we live we live in the Lord if we die we die in the Lord therefore whether we live or die we are the Lord's for to this end Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living but this is the point Paul was making why do you judge your brother see it's pride bottom line is the reason why people would judge another based on these personal convictions is pride or again why do you regard your brother with contempt for we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ it is written as I live says the Lord every knee shall bow and every tongue shall uh, give praise to God so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God therefore let us not judge one another anymore but rather determine this not to be a stumbling block to another so Paul went on to talk about he said look bottom line is regarding these personal convictions Paul said if me eating meat somehow but cause my brother to stumble he said I'll abstain for their sake so he said quit judging each other based on these personal convictions this is the probably the biggest area for spiritual pride and arrogance is about personal convictions bottom line this person feels like they can do this that and the other and the other person don't okay but bottom line is the Lord knows how to deal with them you need to just simply pray for them and love and let it go man this all this stuff about being prideful and judgmental and critical of other people is spiritual pride and it will do a lot more damage to you than it ever will to the people you're judging. So let me warn about this tonight because I've seen this in River of Life. Sometimes people come in and they, you know, they don't like this, that, and the other. And 
They don't like the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And they're looking down their nose at it and critical. That's pride. But a lot of times they'll humble themselves over time. And then another, you know, the different teaching and things. Things they've never heard before. They start bucking up against. They want to challenge it. That's pride. Why not be humble and teachable? So here's some things. It's getting quiet tonight. Y'all know, everybody say this. It's very important, okay? I love, I love Pastor Scott. There you go. <laughs> Stick with that. All right, so. <laughs> All right, here's some warnings. Feeling, listen, this is important. Feeling that you are elite or that you're part of some elite group. Be careful about that because as the Holy Spirit continues to move powerfully, he's not always moving everywhere. Don't ever get into some kind of spiritual pride and feeling like, you know, that you're in some kind of elite little group and that you're a little bit better than other people. That's just not true. And if people started really dealing with that, don't be surprised if God doesn't lift his presence. Number two, feeling superior to others out there. Feeling that somehow you're better than other people. Maybe because of your convictions or whatever. That's, that seems to be the big one with religious people. Just because you have different convictions doesn't mean you're better than somebody Number one, not everybody's had the encounter with God that you've had. You know, if I hadn't had the encounter with God that I had at Brownsville, I probably wouldn't have the convictions I have today. It was just God's grace and mercy that I ended up there. It was an interesting series of events. I ended up being at Bible school, but I ended up at a particular church interning that the pastor got really touched there and told us we should go. I mean, it was just God's providence that I ended up there in the first place. As this was before the days of internet and all this being really publicized. I mean, it was by word of mouth. And so it was just God's grace and mercy. But if I hadn't have been there and got touched by God and then sat under the sermons I sat under, I probably wouldn't have the convictions I do. So it's just God's grace. Another thing is being independent. This is extremely dangerous. In our culture... I don't think that kingdom authority is really understood in America anymore, in a lot of churches. It may be in some. But, man, people just kind of do their own thing. There's no really coming under accountability and authority, asking permission, being under covering. It's just not. And so the bottom line is, the people that are not really under that covering like that, like the Bible says they're vulnerable for satanic attack to some degree because they're not really truly under cover. But being independent is a sign of spiritual pride. See, really truly coming under authority and being submitted to authority takes a lot of humility. And let me say too about, you know, watch out for feeling like you're part of some little elite group or something. I've seen a trend now for the last several, several years that really grieves me where people by and large out there have gotten such a rotten, disgusting attitude toward church and toward church leaders. And these are people that call themselves Christians. And let me tell you that there may be here and there, I've known a lot of preachers, man. I've known a lot of churches. 
And I know that there's here and there, there's something that's not right. But I'm going to tell you something. For every corrupt preacher, there's a hundred that are the real deal. I'm just telling you, that's the way it is. And people focus on some church that's off over there. What about the hundred or the thousand over here that are really going after God? Well, see, that's the problem. People, because of pride, people start thinking they categorize. It's like they see this one person over here that's off, so they think, well, everybody's off. No, they're not. That's you. And that, and that prideful, rebellious, rotten attitude toward church is only going to hurt you. Because the kingdom of God moves on. And here you are out of church. Or sitting around judging and criticizing people that you should be humble and be under their covering. All right. But just be careful, and I close with this, being critical and judgmental of others. A pastor of, of one of the greatest moves of God was saying before, before revival broke out where he was, he would, you know, watch Christian TV or whatever, and he would find himself really being critical of stuff that was going on. And he was driving down the road, and the Lord told him, he heard the Lord very clearly say, if you don't humble yourself, and repent of that he, the Lord said I will have to pass you by and so he was driving in his car he said man I felt so convicted he pulled off the road he parked his car and he wept over the steering wheel and asked God to forgive him for his pride and asked God to please not pass him by and because he repented and he was sincere God poured out his spirit and let me tell you we got to be careful with this spiritual pride and I hear it all the time, people even behind pulpits that want to name people's names and make fun of people that just simply believe a little different than they do. And they're very critical of other people. I don't do that. Maybe they know something I don't know. You know, maybe they, they've learned something I haven't learned. But it's not my job to sit up here in pride and start criticizing everybody out there and judging everybody. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to tear other people down. I don't agree with everything. There's some things I definitely don't agree with in these latter days we live. But I pray for them. See, a humble person will pray for people. A prideful person sits back all smug and arrogant, makes fun and mocks and criticizes and judges.